Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Dave Gallego. Great interview this week we have with Juan Guerra. He's the head coach of Phoenix Rising. They are now the USL champs. They beat the Charleston Battery and PKs. And uh, Dave, good get. I think a good idea to talk to this guy. I mean, this is a lot of where the future uh, lies with us. Yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting with him. Another example of a, a young coach. Uh, you see it in the NFL with Sean McVay and, and Mike McDaniel, and now in soccer. I mean, these guys are so young. So, yeah, I'm just really excited to chat with him. So many questions. Yes, yeah, he's 32 years old. He's uh, the youngest coach to ever win the USL championship. So it'll be, and he's had quite a journey. I've uh, Soccer America, one of our co-sponsors, has uh, has an article on him, and uh, I read that. You know, a bit of a journeyman, but. Really had luck everywhere, or not luck, hard work and luck everywhere he went, and he's uh, continued to move up. And so this is his latest, uh, his latest move. And you know, congrats to him for winning the, the USL championship. So uh, big weekend in soccer. Uh, I know what I watched. What'd you watch? Show me yours. I'll show you mine. <laughs> so, so did you check out the Liverpool match? Absolutely. Uh, they're on fire, man. They really are. They're they're dominant. I think. Yeah, well, you know, it's great. I mean, a little side story. So, uh, so Salah missed—he's missed four of his past ten penalty kicks, including wow. one this past week in the first half. So he he missed the PK in the first half, and Liverpool's down going into halftime. He changes his cleats and now proceeds to score two goals in the second half. Uh, so they earned the victory. So uh, pretty interesting what a a change of of footwear can do for you. There, you know, I mean, he's a scoring machine, but that whole thing, even Messi struggled with penalty kicks. It's it's odd when they step up. Look, if you have not played the game, you do not realize, but you know, people who don't know the game world, they'd be like, what, just kick the ball in the net. It's it's, uh-huh. it's so big. You get, I go, oh, it's such a mind game to step up there. Is, is it where you look first? Is that where you're going to put the ball? Is it going to go left? He knows I'm going to go left, so I'm going to go right or whatever it is. Um, I know what I took them for my college team and a guy named Kevin Welsh, who was an NESL player, said to me, Flinny, place it in one place, practice your ass off, and just step up and, and put it there every time. And uh, I think what happens is you see these goalkeepers, they, they walk right over and they look at a piece of paper. They know the flow chart that they have. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, uh, he's put it down the middle a few times and he's been okay a couple of times, but, you know, he missed this one and it was a heartbreaker. Yeah, but he... Came back with a vengeance in the second half. And again, they secured the victory. Um, yeah, so I watched that. And then, as I mentioned in, on last week's show, uh, our friends at uh, Aston Villa, they, they've now snuck into second place. And uh, Tottenham is on the outside looking in uh, at, in fifth place. So Aston Villa continues to be an outstanding story, kind of like Leicester a few years ago when they yeah. won the EPL. Good stuff. I love stuff like that. And I like the, the fact that it mixes it up a little bit, yep. you know, instead yep. of the top four teams all the time being there and uh, and continued woes for well, Manchester United. I mean, they just um, they struggle. The, 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 the team that we knew when we were younger, boy, they just would be perennials up there. And now they've struggled for years. Different coaches. Nobody's happy. And, you know, think of going back to Liverpool a little bit. I mean, they 
they lost to uh, Tottenham in the last second. And then they beat up Manchester United and should have gotten a goal and didn't. Manchester United just hung on for that full 90. So uh, they're back at the top of the table, though. And I think what's interesting is they have so many injuries, yet they have so much depth. It almost feels like it's not fair to the rest of the teams below that those top six, five or six. You know, it's like the bigger budgets, the bigger players. You have a good player, they take them. You know, it's... Uh, People just don't want to be relegated, I guess. That's all it is. Yeah, well, just like with football in this country, when you look at the Alabamas of the world, even though they just lost, you look at you look at the depth that they have because, listen, you mentioned injuries. Injuries happen all the time. So the deeper you are, the better it is. And any team would, would, would salivate to have that sort of depth. So yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that with college football teams, what do they have, 96 scholarships? As soon as you have a football team, Division One football team, you have suddenly – have a scholarship for every woman on campus. You got to go out and find women to give them scholarships. Never mind, just just to match the football team. So I think <laughs> a lot of these college teams, like in Alabama or in Notre Dame, even uh, they go out and they recruit players that they probably know won't play for them, but don't want them to play for anybody else. <laughs> you know, they just they just grab them all. So, but speaking of the Premier League and talking about you know uh, head coaches and who makes a good coach, who doesn't, it's tough to tell, but uh, Wayne Rooney sacked after 15 games right away. Yeah. Done. Goodbye. Thank you, sir. I know. Thank you uh, for your services. Time to leave. 15 games. I mean, seeing such a short period of time, not even a preseason thing, but you know, it's funny. um, Talking about like the, maybe the, uh, watching Larry Bird play and he played like a coach. He just was so smart. I remember watching him play. I don't think he made a great head coach. And I think a lot of these great players don't necessarily make great head coaches. But what do they say? They say if you if you can't play the game, be a coach. Yeah, but look, I've played with a lot of guys who were who were great players, and then they became good coaches. Like I'll say, we had Mike Noonan on. You know, when I played with him in the indoor league, and Nick O'Shea, um, my two buddies from that period of time, they both became head coaches at prestigious schools. They both figured shit out earlier on the pitch than I did. They would be like Flinny. When he drops back, this guy's moving forward, so you got to slide. And I'm like, okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll do it. Darwin, I'll get him. So it was, <laughs> it was basically they read the game like coaches. And I think um, you know, it's not necessarily always a great player that makes a great coach. But uh, in this case, Rooney, such a great player. I don't know. I don't know as a coach. It seems like a, you know, Frank Lampard, too, great player. And I yeah. guess he's had his shots. So you know, who knows what it takes. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. No, absolutely, yeah. So Wayne Rooney done. Where does he go next? Who knows? Hey, Bob Bradley too. He's fallen through the cracks as we talked about a few uh, a few episodes ago. So yeah, I think he's sort of on his last leg with coaching, but I think he stayed Starbuck. I think it is. Um, you know, I, look, I think everybody's definition of what a great coach is is different. I mean, we like again, we're. We're going to talk to Juan Guerra from the Phoenix Rising in a little bit, but also, you know, talking to Mike Noonan. I mean, you're a college coach. It's a certain different thing because you're shaping young men. You're motivating them. Every player is different. Uh, you got to win, but at what cost? Uh, and that's what I feel like for the Premier League, there's such a different set of criteria that these guys go through because, you know, you've got Pep, you've got, uh, you know, uh, Klopp. All these guys have huge budgets. And then you have teams that don't. And then you have teams that might really want to spend a lot of money uh, down at the bottom to stay in the Premier League. And then it doesn't work out. And then they're in debt. And so the, the things that uh, the machinations they have to deal with are pretty, pretty intense. 
So, all right, what kind of, so let me ask you, what kind of coach would you like to play for? So using American football as an example, okay, would you like to play for somebody like a, a Bill Parcells who is a no-nonsense guy, or would you rather play for somebody like, who's like a Mike McDaniel that has your back 24-7, is a little bit more loosey-goosey? Who would you rather play for? And, or, and, and, then, and then if you were an owner, who would you rather have coach? I think uh, organization is a huge, huge factor as a head coach, uh, as a manager, because I think, you know, you could have your GM, your director of player personnel. You have to delegate um, a lot of different jobs. And so I think to stay on top of it all and also to stay above it, you know, Jurgen Klopp gets down there with the guys, giving them hugs and and, uh, saying he's got their backs all the time. But Sir Alex Ferguson kind of, he mentored uh, Beckham and, and some players, but for the most part, he was a hard ass. And so it was who, his, who, his way who, the highway. So, what, so, Larry, so, and Pep is a hard ass also. So, what do you prefer, a huggy feely kind of guy, or do you prefer a guy who basically is more no nonsense? Well, I tell you what, you talk about two guys, Pep and Jurgen Klopp. I'd play for either of them, and I think they're both very different. I think, I think Pep gets on his people yeah. a lot harder. Uh, he's got a way of playing, my way or the highway, and it's been very successful. It's, they're having a tough time this year. Uh, Klopp, I like I like the Klopp style a little bit more. I would love to play for Pep or Klopp, but um, but Klopp I like because every player, wherever you go, they need confidence. They, especially this game, it's like I think in soccer, everybody's a quarterback. Everybody has to do everything. And you look at how hard it is to coach a quarterback in the NFL. So I think you're basically looking at eleven players with different personalities that all have the ball at their feet uh, every game, right? So I know for me, if I'd come into a place where a coach knew who I was, I knew he kind of had my back, uh, I might not be doing it in the first couple of days of practice or the first weeks because you're trying to acclimate yourself. But a a good coach can make an average player good or or great, a a good player great. And you look at – we talked about it last week with – you know, look at Kevin De Bruyne or – Mo Salah, both of those guys didn't play well for um, Mourinho. You know, they didn't like him at Chelsea. And they're great players. I mean, world class. Yet that coach didn't get anything out of them. And I think both of them, they would have responded with a clop, but not so much with a a Mourinho who – Mourinho just thinks everybody's wrong and I'm right kind of a thing. (laughs) But you know what? The guy has won. He's won wherever he's gone. So there's something to be said for that. I mean, me personally, if I was an owner – Wins are the most important thing, obviously. But yeah. unless you're flawless, I can't help but think that a, a player, a coach, excuse me, a coach that is more of a no-nonsense guy, I mean, you can be huggy and feely at times, but who has very little patience and tolerance for mistakes. It's okay. I'm fine with mis- with making a mistake once. That's all good. We yeah, all make but, mistakes. You know, on the but after that, though, the second, the second time is like, dude, no, get with the program. No. You make a lot of mistakes uh, on the pitch. You really do. The, the one thing is, you know, not to hang your head. And sometimes if a coach yells at you or pulls you off, it puts you in your head. And so, you know, that, that's, the, that's the rub. Hey, um, just a little quick MLS uh, thing before we get to, uh, to Juan Guerra here. Um, Jordi Mihaljevic, U.S. national team player. I really like the way this kid plays. I like his vision. He's creative. But my concern, I don't know how well you know him as a player, but um, – he just seems like at that men's national team level, uh, you just need a certain level of physicality, which I just don't think he has, especially from that midfield position. Um, anyway, he's, he's leaving um, the Dutch league and he's coming back to MLS. So I think, you know, these young guys, I think he's 25. So I think that's, you're, 
you're supposed to be filling out by then, and he hasn't really. But I, I like the way he plays. So hopefully he comes back home to MLS and uh, beefs up a little bit and uh, has an impact for our next World Cup. The other um, MLS thing I wanted to say was uh, Hugo Lloris is coming this way, LA, LAFC. So that should be uh, nice. After spending, what, 15 years or something in the um, Premier League, he's, he's headed this way. Well, the more good players the MLS gets, obviously, I'm stating the obvious, the better. I mean, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, he always said that for the United States national team to step up, they have to play the best in the world. And if you're, if you're playing in the English Premier League or any of the European leagues... Uh, not any of them. Not any of them. Well, okay. But, you know, the top tiers. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, that's that's important. He's like, even the friendly the friendly games, like in the United States, they yeah. have to play. They have to play the Argentinas, the Brazils, the Spains of the world. Um, and you're going to take your beatings, but guess what? It's going to make you better. Look at the right. the, the women's team. Uh, the women's team has slipped a, a tiny bit, but that's because everybody's getting better. But who do they play? They play the top teams, and that's what you need. You have to do it. So They don't play the top teams. The women don't have any top teams to play. They were the top team, but, my God, nobody else played. No wonder they won the no, championship. But now, I mean, oh, no, now there's, now there's plenty of competition. I'm talking, I'm talking about now. If you look you know, who they play now, they play China. They'll play Denmark. They'll play Holland. They'll play England. Yeah, but like a lot of these countries didn't have women's programs. We no, had I know. I'm talking about now, though. Right, right, right. Okay. That was then. Now. This is now. And speaking yeah. of now, <laughs> let's take a quick break. Uh, we have uh, Wine Guetta, the uh, head coach of Phoenix Rising, uh, USL champs, coming up in just a bit. So stick around. You're listening to OTB. And we are back on Over the Ball. Joining us now, Juan Guetta uh, from the Phoenix Rising, the head coach of the, the USL champs. Coach, appreciate you taking the time to uh, come out and talk to us today uh, on the podcast. Congratulations, first of all. Yeah, congrats. Thank you, Thank you guys. Awesome. Thank you awesome so much. Awesome job. I, I, I appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words, for the intro, and uh, absolutely thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, talk a little bit about the season, Coach, uh, what it took to get there. And um, we have a bunch of questions we want to ask you, but I want to just t- uh, hear kind of a flow of the season that you had and, and how it was motivating the boys through all of that. And then that intense penalty kick uh, win against the battery. It took absolutely everything. That's what it <laughs> yes. took, man. It, it <laughs> took everything from the from the beginning all the way to the last second of the season, uh, from the beginning of the year in January all the way to late November. It was um it was a long year. It was a long season of of a lot of uh, ups and downs, which is very very normal when when you're building a, a new team because we had twenty new players uh, wow. this year. So it was it was very very difficult. A lot of ups and downs, but the journey, man, the journey to me was what really really made the destination. Even though we ended up lifting a trophy and and everybody, I mean, sees you as as a very successful year, which it was. But I do believe that our journey was as successful as a, as a destination, man. Yeah, so you, you, had, you had a rocky road towards the end of the season. Um, I believe you lost four in a row at one point. Is that correct? Um, no, no, because if that would have happened, maybe we're not talking to each other, my friend. At one point, you had a, a little bit of, of yeah, rough so stretch. What happened, what happened was we lost two in a row, and uh, I believed we tied another two. So it was four games without winning. So that's four what I believe games. it was. That's what I yes, meant. correct. That's what I meant. So it, yeah. was, it was four winless games before the playoffs. So that's the time of the year when you guys know how it is, right? Towards you the need end, momentum. Like, you have the you exactly, can't go in limping in. Yes, you get into the playoffs. You want to find that rhythm. You want to come in hot in the playoffs, and we actually got very, very cold. 
So it was a bit of turbulent moments, especially that last week uh, of the year before that first playoff game. But um, but listen, it allowed me to push the guys in a different way. It allowed me to motivate them a bit differently. And thankfully, it worked out. You know, Juan, that's an interesting point because, you know, a lot of times, whether it was the, the Celtics that I've watched in the past or the Lakers or, or teams that just win, win, win. It's tough to keep them motivated throughout the year. And sometimes, uh, I, I even said this with the Brazilian national team, I like them to play well and because uh, I love watching them, but it's good for them to lose before they get into a World Cup because they get this just, you know, nothing kind of counts anymore after a while. So humility. Think, yeah, the humility that maybe losing a couple of games just before you had the playoffs, a new season, could actually be advantageous, No. I, I do think that's definitely the approach that we took. Um, it helped us get the boys on their toes and, and very, very focused that week before the first playoff match. If you ask me, I wouldn't want to do it this route again. I'd rather yeah. come, in, <laughs> come into the playoffs with a, with a few wins in, in, in our yeah. hands and, and, not, and not in that route. But, but we did do that. We used it as a bit of motivation, a bit of uh, concentration. It allows us to, to push the guys a bit more. I'll give you an example. When I was the assistant coach in Phoenix, um, we had qualified to the playoffs, clinched playoffs, maybe eight weeks before the playoffs. And then we clinched the first place in the division a few weeks before. So what I've told the head coach, I said, oh, this is great, but it worries me a little because now the guys are not going to compete. Yes, they're not going to compete. They're going to feel very safe for a few weeks. And all these teams are fighting for their lives. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. We were first seeded. We have to play versus a team that was competing and fighting for their lives and clinch playoffs as the last spot. And we hadn't competed in weeks. You know what I mean? When, when it really, really mattered. We lost that first, first playoff. We lost it, the first, the first game. So this year was the opposite. So when the media asked me, I said, well, I felt what it was when I was the assistant coach. And I felt that calmness, that... um. It was it was too easy, and I don't like that feeling before going into the playoffs. Right. And right. this year, I felt the tension, I felt the concentration levels, and I felt that the guys needed to to prove something, and they definitely did. Yeah, well, that's a. So let me ask you something in terms of in terms of coaching. So I know that people bring up frequently the fact that you're the youngest head coach, and I know that in the National Football League there's a trend for for hiring young coaches. So for example, you have Sean McVay uh, with the Rams, you have um, Mike McDaniel with the Dolphins. So there's definitely a uh, it's skewing younger. So with you, I want to ask, how do you deal with players that are kind of close in age with you how do you motivate them how do you speak to them how do you make sure you're on the same page because i mean you have rakovsky he's 30 you have stenberg he's 31 you have king he's 33 and although you're older than all of them how do you handle the, the, the closeness in age well i think it makes it a bit easier even though there's challenges but um it makes it a bit easier we have a lot of things that um that we relate with um Besides music, I still don't know how these kids can listen to that crap. It's very, very bad. <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, there's other things that um that 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 we there's there's common interests and things that we share. Um, I do think that because I retired um not too long ago, I right. one of the things that I I really wanted to to make last when I retired and I became a coach was not to forget the feeling of how those guys are feeling in that locker room. And, right. and this is something that I've really fight for every year. And I hope that 
uh, it takes a while before it really leaves because at some point we're going to forget how they feel that that empathy is just going to, you know what I mean? It, you have it because you love them and you care for them, but that true empathy of understanding how they feel, because I felt the same way when I was in their shoes. So that helps me relate to them um, very, very much. And, and Dave, that's a great question. And to be honest, I use them as my right hands. I use, I use those guys, the older guys, the most experienced guys in the, in the group, the senior players, uh, they understand that they're the bridge between the technical staff, the office, and that locker room. And and I make them feel very, very important in, in the process. And I get them very, very involved. Um, um, and, and, and they feel that way. They feel that I trust them. They feel that I put a lot of responsibility um, in them. And I always tell them, the, the team has, we have different cultures within one big culture. Because we have the culture of the organization of who we're representing, which is very clear, the culture of Phoenix Rising. We have a culture then as a team on the on the field of who we are and, and who we represent. But there's another culture that that one, I, I can try to control it, but my reach will never go that deep because of the respect that I have for them, which is the culture that the players create inside the locker room. And that culture is very, very important. Because then they run that culture. They need to make sure that it's healthy, that it's clear, that when a new player comes in and walks in that locker room, they see how things are run. What are the hierarchies? How are things, I mean, what, who, who do I need to follow? Who is going to guide me and teach me how things get done inside this locker room? And I give them full freedom there. They, they have that. And uh, that's helped me massively. And, uh, and again, and I hope this feeling takes a while before it leaves. Sometimes. My assistant coaches and even friends that are coaches, they they said, yeah, but you, 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 sometimes you feel it too much or you care too much or you still think too much as how they're thinking. And that mm-hmm. affects me. That affects me a, a lot because mm-hmm. only 11 of them start, 11 of them play. There's 18 that dress. There's some guys that go to the stands. And I feel for all of them. And at times right. it becomes very difficult, man. You know, Juan, I think these are all great valid points. We were talking about this before you got on about just the amount of things that a coach has to uh, balance uh, and micromanage and manage and delegate. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting. I think for you, you know, Dave, you said Dave asked a good question, which was great because we haven't heard that on the show before. But, um, <laughs> he's, you know, they, these guys are oh, close to your age. And I think uh, knowing you, Juan, you can still play. And I think there's the respect okay. factor that guys say once in a while, I remember Jason Christ said, no, I, I put the boots on a couple of times and showed the guys that I could still play. I think yeah. my question to you, Juan, is a, a lot of players find it very difficult to go from the warrior mentality of a player to the philosophy, to the philosopher mentality that you're, you're in right now. And it seems like with your path, you've really made this transition quite smoothly. But I think you've had a wonderful journey to, to sort of get here. You're from Venezuela. Uh, a soccer kind of baseball oil country uh, there. Your father's Italian, so he obviously taught you how to defend from an early age. Sure. Um, and then, and and then your journey through the U.S. Um, talk about how your travels have made you a better coach uh, for the Phoenix Rising. Mm, again, wow, you guys, it's it's just great, man. Good, good questions. I do think um, that's a good question to- because I told them. I'm sorry, I told them to ask that question. <laughs> you guys wrote it, right? You Who's guys, this yeah. better one? This is great because um, the, the the reality of all of this is um, 
traveling and being able to play it in different um, countries and in different continents and and being able to experience different languages and cultures in locker rooms um, gave me the ability to to understand also that that um, you mean that as a coach we we could deliver um, the same message but the way you deliver that message is not the same way to every single player. Right. It has to be completely different. And for example, if if the message is this one is X, but I need to understand that there's some European guys that I'm going to deliver this message this way. Mm, for the yeah. South American guys and the Venezuelans that I brought in, I know exactly how I could deliver that message in right. order to be able that to make sure that it reaches um, yeah, yeah. The, the the same way. So that that to me is is key and being able to to play in Europe and like I said, South America and North America had given me the ability to to be able to navigate um different cultures and, and understand kind of like how do they react to, to to pieces of information, how they how do they react to emotions, um understanding that um there's some players that and and cultures and 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 because of respect that when you're talking to someone or when like when you're speaking to the locker room out of respect, for example, a lot of African players don't make eye contact. And I love eye contact. I love eye right. contact from my players. That to me mm-hmm. is, is a way to engage. But for their, because of their culture and the respect that they have for the head coach, sometimes they don't make eye contact with you. So it's, Interesting. Un, it's understanding kind of like all of these things. But I've known this because I had a lot of African teammates when I was playing in Spain. And, right. and, and, and it's helped me... Um, yeah, utilize all these pieces of experiences and, and exposure that, that I had as a player and now being able to 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 put everything in a in a bucket and, and, and try to make it now like you said, you use the word philosophy and, and what's what's my coaching philosophy and mm-hmm. and then that philosophy, how do we develop it into a into a methodology that that reaches all the players to to fulfill their their full potential. And I think that's kind of the, the the full circle um coming back to the u.s because i i did college here and then after college i went overseas to play i never thought i was going to come back to the u.s but when the opportunity came to play for the rowdies and then it was new york cosmos in the 11 where i retired i didn't hesitate because i knew the culture um i i also felt that it was a bit of un, unfinished business in in, in america on, on on the soccer side and and I wanted to come back and and be successful. And then, um, sadly, the MLS door didn't open when I came back uh, at 27. And as soon as I retired, I I said to me, um, I did college in the U.S. So when I went back home, um, I mean, I started playing professionally at 21. So in South America, you're 21 years old. You're not a professional. Where where have you been? <laughs> where yeah, was yeah, this, yeah. Where, you where, you where, where, yeah. Where was this? Where was this kid before? Like he's twenty one yeah. and he's 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 a he's a rookie and then the professional level. What what was he doing? So you're over was, the hill. It's like being yeah. in the, like being in the band Menudo. It, it was super weird. It was super <laughs> weird. So I said, you know, I I sacrifice uh, some professional years because I started later. I started at twenty one, and uh, say that way. Now as a coach, I said. I'm going to sacrifice some years of playing on the back end of my career, but I'm going to start coaching very young. And now I'm hoping that those years that I'm sacrificing and coaching young can really help me 
uh, reach my fullest potential. I, I, so. Yeah, well, coaching young, I think, uh, and you use the use the terms coaching young and retiring. I, I know that you were actually surprised to, to tell your wife that you were retiring because you didn't really expect it, but you got the opportunity. So here you are. Um, hey, Juan, uh, you know, speaking of the Cosmos and the Rowdies, two historical, legendary teams within the realm of United of American soccer. I think I actually met you when you played for the Cosmos because I work for NBC Universal and Telemundo, and I was there with Telemundo doing a piece, and I was with uh, Giovanni, another Venezuelan, Giovanni, your old coach, Savarese. So I yes. think I may have met you, perhaps. I don't we, know if you remember that at we, Mitchell Field right, in Hofstra. Dave, we, we, we have met, I, I, and, and I do remember that. You didn't remember, but I did. Now yeah. you remember. Yeah, that a boy. Yes. You guys probably spoke Spanish with each other. That's what. <laughs> well, I only know mi uh, español es muy muy peor. Barcelona. Yo estudié en la escuela para cuatro años. No muy bueno. F F F. So yeah. So anyway, Juan, good to reconnect. Um, I do want to change gears a little bit because we know that you are quite busy, and no, we actually don't have all that much time. Although we could speak to you forever, but I I do want to touch on a couple of maybe controversial. Topics and if you don't want to talk about it, I completely understand. But um, I want to get first. I want to get your thoughts on the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, and more specifically, the fact that the MLS no longer wants to participate. Uh, what are your I, feelings on? I that? thought you were going to ask him about Roe versus Wade or something. My God. <laughs> well, that's next. That's, that's part B. Right. That's part B. This is no, and, I, and at the end of the day, you can. Um, I love this type of conversations and, mm -hmm. and, and you can shoot and, and, and let's, let's, let's have an open conversation about it. This is, this is kind of like how I see, like, like what I think about it and, and, and also the reality, the reality and the context of where we are that in my opinion is everything. Context is everything. We need to understand our reality and, and how, how our sport is being run in this country. Right. Mm -hmm. There's um there's the people that make decisions and 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 I, and I do not control those decisions. I can't control what they're gonna do and or what's gonna happen. What mm -hmm. I can control is that in the environment that I am, it makes sure that it's run professionally, is run properly, that we're developing people, that we're making sure that we're putting a good product on the field that the people feel um, identified with and feel more re respected and 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 they see a reflection of the city of Phoenix or the state of Arizona that, that we represent. If you ask me, in the Open Cup, I want to play versus the best. In the Open Cup, we want to win the first few games in order to get through to bring the best to Phoenix. We want to put, yep. um, yeah, I mean, put a product on the field that, that we can compete versus the best to see where we are. And, um, and at the end of the day, I'm going to control what I can control. And I'm going to get a team ready to compete at the highest level as possible. And regardless of who it comes or whoever, wherever we go to compete on the Open Cup, that's not going to change our motivational levels either. We're going to be as motivated to represent Phoenix um, wherever we go. But if you ask me, bring the best. You yeah, know, I agree. It's kind of like the uh, God give me the strength to uh, accept what I cannot cannot change and what I can. So that's that works well. And you know, look, we had Mike Noonan, the head coach of Clemson, on a couple of weeks ago. You know, talking about the college game and how it's changed as far as uh, you know MLS Next and, and USL and all these players that coaches like yourself are developing. Um, it sort of changed the complexion of the college game really a lot more. Foreign players are coming here now, uh, but there's a lot more paths to get to 
the professional game or even to the U.S. men's national team now than there were before. And college is just not one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, coaches like yourself. And to go back to basically your experience, what I think is so unique about your point of view is, yes, you have a global perspective. You come from a country, uh, you've played at high levels, you've played in Europe. What I think the toughest part to understand is this culture, the United States culture, because it's so damn big and we're so set in our way. We don't have the infrastructure that a lot of these other countries have with soccer. So people like yourself who understand an American's motivation, an American player, um, really, you guys are building the infrastructure now. Yes, and also, but but this is the thing, too. Um, if we, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I, I hate throwing numbers and dates sometimes because I, I'm, I'm, I'm not good at it, but how old is the MLS? Is it 35? Is it older than that? How old is You're it? wrong, Juan. You're wrong. <laughs> what is, no, I'm kidding. I don't know. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's about 30 years. Yeah, 25. Yeah. 30, 25? Yeah. Is it 25 or 35? Somewhere there, right? I think it's so, 26. But anyway. Okay. Yeah, correct. It was 25. Yeah, correct. That was a, the, It was like an anniversary. I saw 25, now 26. So let's, if we think about it, um, what other country or ever league that has been created in the world has grown, developed, and 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 there you go, 1994. There you go. So, so it has grown, developed, or you know I mean brought more attention and culture and 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 bringing uh, players, coaches um, in 25, 26 years. Guys, the growth has been massive. It's right. been enormous. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So sometimes I think we're so hard on MLS. We're so hard on on absolutely everything. And we don't understand that MLS is a baby. MLS is yeah. a baby. They've been playing football or soccer in Europe, in Italy, in Uruguay, in Argentina. For, <laughs> for Forever. It's, 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 yeah. so it's, it's, so it's not fair to make that comparison. And this comes from a, from a Venezuelan that also our league is not super, super old, that we're growing, that we're competing in South America versus the best. My father being Italian, I, I had a bit of both. Where I've seen the growth in Venezuela, but I've seen the culture of Italian soccer since I was born because of my father. So what I'm trying to say here is the MLS is in a good route. Um, they're growing massively. Is it different? Yes, it's 100% different. They do things their own way. Yes, they do things their own way. But also, they've been having to compete versus very, very difficult leagues and environment. And the neighbors that we have in Mexico have done it for a lot longer yeah. than, than we have over here. And we've created, an MLS created a market that can really compete versus that one. So something right they are doing. And yes, at, sometimes when you got to do things, mistakes will happen. Sometimes you got to make tough decisions, but that's also part of growth and, and well, development. Well, Juan, you know, you're being very diplomatic. You're being very fair in terms of what you're stating about the MLS. But at some point, when you, you, you coached in Indy, and the attendance there and the quality of soccer was outstanding. Phoenix, the attendance is outstanding. So you're being very fair to the MLS, but at some point, and again, this is slightly yeah. controversial, you don't have to comment on this, but at some point, do you feel like Indy and Phoenix are both big markets? At some point, do you feel like it's not fair that the big boys, quote unquote, the big boys are not allowing you to play in their game when you can easily compete in attendance, facilities, and the caliber of play. Oh no, I I agree with you, Dave, and and you're right a hundred percent. Um, I 
at the end of the day, I shared the same belief and 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 the idea that that you have. You know I mean, I I would love to be able to have um yeah you know I mean promotion and and, and relegation. I, I think this is something that will be healthy. Um, yes. I'm not sure. Uh, how do you solve that issue from from the way franchises made it to MLS and the way everything has happened? Now, right. right. So how do you? How, I think there's a major. Um, yeah, you know I mean, not not issue, but there's there's something that needs to be solved in a way to to make all of this uh, have make sense. Um, I agree with you. I and but this is only and again that's. That's my idea, my vision, kind of like how sure. my, my my belief. If it's it's been proven, it's look look what's happening in in Spain today. You know what I mean? Like like they they have a team competing versus Real Madrid versus Barcelona versus Atletico, and this team is coming from you know what I mean? Like they they've raced all the way. So yes, it it is beautiful. Um, again, we've been around twenty six years. Um, and and we'll see then how everything keeps evolving. It keeps um, it keeps changing until that happens. Um, I can't just sit down and I mean and and, and complain or or cry or, or whine about it. I can promise you that whatever we are, we're gonna make our market as strong as possible. Whatever we are, we want to compete versus the best, and we're gonna put a product on the field that is very very professional. And and we're proud of of, of what we're building. And then we'll see that the guys be that, ready. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, ready. One, it goes back to your point. You, you can't control these things, and no. so much, so much is changing in MLS uh, from you know back in the days when I was around when it started. It's like it's changing and it's growing. And I watched Garber halftime of the uh, MLS Championship, and it, it's good times, Juan, because I'm older than you, and it, this stuff wasn't around. I mean, Messi being here and these crowds and this attention, and it is growing. Uh, lots of places for people to play. All right, so we've got two trivia questions, Juan, that we're going to give out. Uh, don't need the right. answers. Don't, right. don't, yeah, answers. don't tell us the answers. We're not going to tell you the answers because we're going to raffle off. Uh, the winners are going to uh, email us at overtheball.com. We're going to get them some um, Phoenix Rising T-shirts uh, for the winners. Uh, That's but great. I'll, I'll give you the questions. And then I have a quick question, Venezuelan question. Do you know a player named Cheche Vidal? Have you ever met Cheche Vidal? Do you know yes. Cheche? Yes, of course. I got to tell you, Juan. Uh, he played for Boston University. I played against the University of Massachusetts. The kid had just played for the Venezuelan national team. He was playing on the turf at Nichols, Nichols Field in, uh, in Boston. I had never seen a player that good uh, in my life. He was a man among boys. And I tell you, he had a terrible knee injury, and it sort of uh, ruined his career. But, boy, he could play. And he had great hair, too, Juan. And, and he's a good person. And he's a good person, too, man. He's a very he's good a man. Very, he, yes, he's a very yes, good man. So yes. I think he almost he tried to run for the president of Venezuela once. Um, <laughs> yeah. did, and knowing that kid, knowing him, he could have pulled it off, man. Yeah. He could have pulled for, it off. For the I think he uh, yeah, he's for the soccer federation. The federation, that's what it was, yeah. right? Not the yeah. president. I think. Yes, yeah, I think well. he lost. I think he said he wanted to build a wall and make Mexico pay for it, and he ended you up again. losing the president. No, Dave again oh, with man. the controversial questions. It's like crossfire. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here it is. Here's the first question. This is Phoenix Rising centric. All right, name the two-time African Player of the Year, four-time Premier League winner who played for the Phoenix Rising in 2017 to 2018. I'm, I'm sure Juan knows it. I know Juan knows it. And I'm, I'm Dave. You might even. All right. So if you're listening out there, all seven of you, please. Uh, Come up with an answer. If you have the right answer, uh, go to overtheball.com 
and, uh, and give us your answer, and you might win yourselves a Phoenix Rising t-shirt. Okay, now this question, guys, is for the two of you. You can both play. Christian uh, Pulisic has scored six goals in Syria A since joining AC Milan last summer. How many of the five national team players uh, can you name that have also scored goals in the past? Uh, can you name the five other guys? I'm sorry. They've scored goals where? I don't even know what I asked. I'm going to have to repeat the either. question. Sure. Was that English? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, how many of the five U.S. men's national other five U.S. men's national team players can you name? So Pulisic is one of the five. Who else? Are they players? No. Who on the national team? He's been a national team player. Has scored in the Serie A before. Oh, Syria. Oh. Ah, okay. I was going to say John Harks, but we're talking West, about only, West, only in Italy. Weston West for sure. Weston McKinney. Yes. Pulisic is two. Think back, guys, a little bit. And one more present. Hmm. His father was Italian. One. You, I thought you telling us all knew each other. Yeah, that's, uh, that's <laughs> what they think, man. Because <laughs> right, this is the hardest one. I'll give you the hardest one. The other two you guys should get. Mastroeni didn't play in Italy, did no, he? No, no. no. Um, I'll give you one, Clint. Uh, I'll give you one um, hint. Uh, Gigante Rojo. Oh, Alexi Lalas. Alexi Lalas, yeah. Right. Wow, yes. Uh, this other player, former U.S. men's national team captain, just retired. Played for Roma. Oh, you're right. Yes, Bradley. Michael oh, Bradley. Yes. Oh, Michael Bradley. That's right. Absolutely. Roma. And, yes. And, and one more. Uh, and this is a youngster. He's on the national team now. He doesn't get uh, a lot of time, but he's there. His father is Italian, mother American. Mm. Gianluca Buscio. Oh, that's right. Gianluca. Yeah. yeah. Yes. All right. Yes, you're right. Gianluca. Yes, yes, Stumped. yes. Hey, well, Juan, man, it's uh, it's been wonderful to talk to you. It's been great to watch your trajectory and the payoff Thank here you. with winning the championship. Congratulations. Uh, you're a young man, and uh, I think our future of American soccer lies with, with people like yourself. So you're doing a hell of a job, and uh, we appreciate you coming on over the ball. And, and we appreciate you saying Dave gave a good question. Juan, congratulations absolutely we're we're thrilled for you and uh, we'd love to have you back in the once the season starts um, if that works for you guys I would love to Uh, thank you so much for your time Uh, thank you also for for providing a platform for us especially in the USL there's a lot of there's a lot of talent players coaches assistant coaches the ownership groups are making a massive massive effort to try to compete versus what Dave was talking about, right? So it's it's not easy. It's not easy. And people like you guys providing platforms for us to be heard, to be seen, and for people to understand what everything that has been done, it's uh it's important. So thank you. And I yeah, I mean, I wouldn't hesitate to to come back. I would love to look look where I am. I'll show you what I am real quick before you go. I don't know if you can see, but wow. Oh um, that doesn't you're on matter. vacation, dude. Yeah. Wait, wait, yeah. I'm, you in the Caribbean? I'm with it. I'm with the family for, for another two days. Where are you? So we're, we're in Mexico. It's called Puerto Peñasco, and it's only three hours from home, from my door oh, to yeah. here. Yeah, so we'll drive. Yeah, you know, nice. yes. Juan, that's great. That's great that you got away from the freezing temperatures of Phoenix. So good for you. <laughs>
Or Houston. I think that's where Ted Cruz was going. That was what happened. All right, Juan, thanks so much for joining us on Over the Ball. Uh, we'll come back uh, right after this to wrap it up. Congrats, Juan. Take care, buddy. Thank you. Wow, David, uh, got a props for you to get that interview. What a great guy and uh, successful coach. A young man, 32, 33 years old. Um, quite a future ahead of Juan Guida. Yeah, that's some really good answers. And our show, at times, it can delve into the psychological and the psyche of coaching. And he had some really good answers. Because if I'm a coach and I'm coaching people the same age as me or, or darn close, it's got to be difficult. Look, I've, I've had a lot of coaches in my life. And um, a lot of them are idiots. But the best ones are always very bright, thoughtful, empathetic people. And you can see that. That's what it takes. It takes, yeah. you know, you're shaping these players. He even, you know, kind of mentioned what we were talking about in the opening, which was, you got, you got 18 guys uh, you got to worry about. 11 are playing, but the others are on the bench. Then some guys are up in the stands. You have to keep them all motivated, all yep. involved, all feel like you're, you're all moving towards the same common goal. So uh, love, I love talking to, to, uh, to great coaches. It's, uh, it's, it's inspiring. I was telling He's story. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I hosted a Good Morning Texas for a week years ago, and they had um, Tom Landry came on. Oh wow! I, I grew up a giant fan, and and the Cowboys were giant killers forever. Sure. And I'm calling him coach. I'm saying, hey, coach, da 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 da. And at the, at the commercial break, uh, the producers came out. These two kind of younger women, and they said, well, he's not coach anymore. Stop calling him coach. He's not a coach. I go, oh, that's not how that's not how coaching works. He will yeah. always be. He's a coach. always a coach. Absolutely. Yeah, like a, a professor, a teacher, a doc. Yeah. You just you you. It's a respectful you term. Up. A term right. of respect. Absolutely. So it's great to see yeah. it in a uh, younger generation. All right, everybody, that is uh, all the time we have. Hey, like, if you want to win one of those T-shirts, send your answer in. Um, name the two-time African Player of the Year, four-time Premier League winner who played for the Phoenix Rising in 2017-2018. Go to overtheball.com uh, with your answer, and you could win a Phoenix Rising T-shirt. And we'll, uh, we'll mention your name on the show next week. All right, everybody, remember to, to uh, like us and uh, tweet us and make a comment and uh, a heart and a thumbs up and whatever those things are you do on all of those platforms, do it. <laughs> because Over the Ball's back, uh, renewed, refurbished, and we need, uh, we need your support. So, oh, um, yeah. And, uh, and actually, you know, Kev, if I could just yep. interject. Yep. And next week we have the legendary American player, the Hall of Famer, Bruce Murray, joining Bruce us Murray. next week. Great player. Clemson player. Uh, he was in college when I was out. So I never got a chance to play against him. But uh, I, think, I, think he was, I think he was a professional around the same time. Uh, I can't wait to talk yeah, to him about the, a, the 1990 World Cup. I, I, I'm so excited to talk to him about that team. So that's next week, folks. Well, you know, you think about that, it's ancient history now, but it's uh, history that should be remembered. It really should. So, And Bruce Murray was a big part of American soccer history. So join us next week. Uh, I'm Kevin Flynn. That's Dave Gallego, who you can't see. He's wearing a nice scarf, though, by the way, for this Zoom call. And uh, we'll talk <laughs> to you next time on OTB. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. 